0: Welcome to the Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten. Today, I'm talking with Veronique Schutt-Wenterkleid. She's a child and adolescent psychologist and has a private practice in The Hague for international and expat families. For over 12 years, she has worked both in mental health care and at the International School of The Hague with children, adolescents, and their families. She specializes in ACT, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and schema therapy. She grew up abroad and has personal experience with being an expat. She now lives in Wassenaar the netherlands with her husband and two daughters. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I'm excited that you're here with us and thank you for for making this your your first podcast. Uh your your first, first go ever. around. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> I I have a hunch you've been doing a, a few first-evers because You know, your your name was new to me until I read this CNBC article. Um, And for those that haven't been checking CNBC for their meme stocks and Fed decisions about the, the stock market or the economy in America, every now and then the website features something about well-being or mental health. And I noticed your article, which was entitled, I'm a child psychologist in the Netherlands, home to the world's happiest kids. Six things parents here never do and it caught my attention i was like wow i want to talk to this person because i literally just come back from northern europe and experience something experience something about how parents responded to their children in the playground setting you know and i okay. i know that before we recorded we talked a little bit about this but this idea of like watching kids almost crash into the <laughs> playground, falling yeah. down, but also climbing up way higher than I would imagine they would without necessarily the same safety, or I'll put that in quotes, the same safety structures that I would notice in playgrounds in the States. And not only that, to compound it, like I would see parents standing far, far away from their children. The child was was away, way out there playing climbing on their own and able to kind of access what I can only imagine was a, a really healthy sense of autonomy and and ability. And I, I remember coming back to the States shortly after that trip, and my child was like 20 feet away from me. And already, parents were like, where's this? Where is this child's parent? And I was yeah. watching my little one and kept an eye on him. And and just recognizing, wow, it feels like we've got some pretty substantial cultural differences about raising children, their development, their sense of autonomy. And I then I read your story and I said, I really want to talk to Veronica about, you know, how she kind of came up with this list of, of six things and to just kind of go over it with you. So maybe we can start sure. there.
1: Yeah. 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 So, um, uh, CNBC. They um, reached out to me, um, asking me to write this article. Um, and it was based actually uh, on the UNICEF report, um, Worlds of mm. Influence report, where they looked into um, what influences the well-being and happiness of children in actually the richest countries of the world. And the Netherlands mm-hmm. was uh the top again. So mm. they asked me, well, from my point of view. Uh, what do I think based on also my professional work, but also my my personal experience? Uh, what do parents do? Dutch parents do that influence the happiness of their children.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, um, yeah, I thought about it. And I came up with these six points that I thought, yeah, I think that really influences the happiness of our children.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about, just based on my story, this idea of that that number two, like we never hover over our kids is something you wrote. So what, right. what does it look like then?
1: Right, well, very similar as you described. <laughs> so it's not uncommon to, to, to have that, right? To, mm-hmm. to be at a, a playground where, you know, the parents are, are, are sitting on a bench, drinking a coffee while while their children are, are playing, falling, mm-hmm. learning to get up again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, it also teaches children something, right? It teaches them independence, uh, but also confidence confidence to try things but also mm-hmm. to get up when they when they fall again and i think that does um influence yeah their happiness as well if we let mm-hmm. them we let them explore in a safe environment because i mean the parents are there it's not like yeah. they're <laughs> they're they're off somewhere else so mm-hmm. yeah yeah
0: it, it is such a fascinating idea because even, even as you say that like it is a safe environment there's, there's this piece where like, I can almost role play what some folks that I can, I can, I can picture some, some of these parents, where they would be like, well, that's not safe at all. You know, if, if I'm not there with my child, that that's not safe at all. And so I can, I can already like sense the like, there is a difference in what, what does mm. safety mean? And what does that mm. look like in these, in these spaces as well?
1: Because what, what is it, I, I'm just curious, what, what is it like then, uh, yeah, more in the States, um, if you go to a playground?
0: Well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, at least from a very short experience in Northern Europe compared to the States, was that there are very firm boundaries of of where certain ages should go. There tend to be things that I think many parents would say, well, that's that increases safety. But like, there are more railings. I know that sounds really simple, but like more fences or more railings in the actual playground itself. Whereas what I'd noticed was like, ah, my my child could kind of define what play looks like in this playground in Denmark, for instance, like maybe it's like tree stumps, uh, a ladder, um, a, a trampoline that like play could be defined a lot more by the child. But it also right. didn't have the like uh, boundary that would support them climbing that thing. So, for instance, what I can picture in my local playground here with my little one is like there's a staircase and it's got a pretty clear fence up the sides of the staircase. Mm. And then it's got a slide with like firm slide uh, sides to it. And, mm. you know, it there's no they're really creating no way to fall off of that thing and be
1: creative actually
0: potentially yeah Yeah. (laughs) i wonder if you can say more about like being creative as a part of like play or the the playground experience
1: well i don't know i i I think you would you would see i mean i i see kids here using the slide differently right you know Mm climbing up the slide or going Mm -hmm. on the sides of it or Mm -hmm. um, those kind of things. So like you said, there's a lot more, I think, room to be creative and Mm -hmm. uh, to explore than using it in one way, the one way it was made kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that there's always room for uh, diversity, even in the States experience too. I've been to some playgrounds where it does feel like, wow, this is much more open, but Yeah, by and large, it feels like there is this, there's this way that you are to play it. And I even notice sometimes parents will like comment on their children, like, you know, don't run up the slide or don't, you know, so there's like, there's a rule based system that we're supposed to follow. There's a way to play. Um, So I think that's fair what you're saying. I I am curious, there are a couple other things on this list, too. Like you talk about Mm. never working more than 40 hours a week, or our opinion isn't the last word. I, yeah. I mean there's some like face value of like okay I can I can hear the number never more than 40 hours a week but what are the consequences on children and development what have you noticed or what 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 made you say that?
1: Yeah so um there's a there's a huge part-time culture here working part-time culture so um mm. about 50% of parents work part-time more women mm. actually than men but um I think it's benefic- beneficial to our children because they have more time with their parents, Mm -hmm. right? So um, that connection with their parents, but also they also have more time for other things like play dates or Mm -hmm. uh, clubs or other activities. Um, Not only that, so the time the kids have, I think, with with their parents, but also parents, I think, not everyone, obviously, um, but have a better uh, work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. So parents who are less stress right more balance um Mm -hmm. are happier parents and happier parents usually mean happier children so Mm -hmm. i think that's where where that uh, comes from um, a little bit um Mm -hmm. and i see that i mean uh one of kind of one of the common things in in the netherlands as well is that dads have a papa dog so a dad day right Mm. Uh, at least one day a week that they're with the kids um Uh and that. Uh, mom is working or doing something else but that dad takes yeah he, he's with the kids
0: mm-hmm. and you know we haven't talked about this very much yet but in your bio as I was introducing you we were talking about how your practice is in the Hague and yep. and then you you live in I guess a, a nearby suburb or a nearby yeah, area it's really
1: close yeah yeah
0: and I'm trying to think about The Hague. Maybe for listeners, we can talk a little bit about what that community even looks like. But I'm imagining this is a very international, very diverse city. Lots of international organizations are present. And so I'm guessing there's some, some differences in culture, even within the Netherlands and within that like culture there. So when we talk about like the 40 hour week thing, do you find that parents are ascribing or adopting some of that that mentality are there challenges then what is this city like and and help us understand some of that culture um
1: yeah so the hague is a very international uh city um it's one of uh, the biggest cities in in the Netherlands, we have a lot of international companies here Mm -hmm. uh, or organizations. I mean, we have the International Criminal Court, Mm -hmm. we have uh, the OPCW, we have the European Patent Office. So we have lots of um, international organizations here. So A lot of expats come here with their children, with their families, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we also have a lot of international schools, international school of of The Hague, British school, American school, European school. Um, uh, So that, um, and uh, so most people in the Netherlands speak English really well, but I think Mm. in The Hague, even more so, you don't really need to learn Dutch to live here. Mm. Okay. (laughs) so that's a little bit what the Hague is like. It's also a really important city for us because we have our parliament here, and mm-hmm. um, the royal family lives here too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. Uh-huh. Does that le- lend itself to to jobs then, though, as they are more international, as they are of greater prominence at the very least, like? Does that lend itself to kind of breaking out of the forty-hour norm or the part-time norm? Do you find that more parents are working longer hours in these these um, these kinds of jobs?
1: Well, the international parents um, maybe, but I, I feel like. If we're talking about the Dutch parents, they're mm-hmm. very much about the the part time. So that's mm-hmm. across the Netherlands, and obviously it's not mm-hmm. for everyone, right? Sure. But the majority um, do work uh, part time. But that's really mm-hmm. more for the for the Dutch parents, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, than the international uh, parents that come here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that not some of them work part time, right. but yeah.
0: Veronica, I'm I'm. F- I'm sort of thinking about what that might sound like in the States. So like what might that might sound like to listeners here, the the idea that, Oh yeah, there are just like, there's a part-time almost philosophy or, or taking time or having the dad day. All of these things to me as a parent sound really wonderful, but there's a second.
1: Oh, sorry.
0: No, no, that's okay. But yeah, there's this, there's a secondary almost feeling that I get, which is like, well, but we can't have that. the 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 feeling is almost like a class one. Like, like when I imagine that, I or I sort of think, well, you've got to be kind of pretty higher cl- upper class as a family to to not have a dual income household, to not be you know full time for both of you, and putting your kid in daycare, and you know, so like I'm I'm sort of imagining that. But I'm guessing, just based on how you're saying it, that this is more accessible to families in the Netherlands than perhaps it is in the States.
1: Well, um, yeah, and um, you have to remember that if I'm not working, then I can take Mm -hmm. care of my kids so then they don't have to go to daycare. So Mm -hmm. daycare here is also quite expensive and there's not enough Mm. space for the kids that need it. Okay, Mm -hmm. so sometimes parents also um, are kind of forced to work part-time because of that
0: Ah.
1: but um so usually um parents start working part-time so i personally i started working three days a week when i had my uh my first right so that's Mm -hmm. six years ago now and since then i've been working three days a week before Mm -hmm. that i was working five days also because i just enjoyed that um uh, but that was a choice because i wanted more time with my kids yeah um and luckily, I could make that choice, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and so it for was some accessible, it was accessible. Yeah, and so yeah. for some part time that would uh, part timers here four days would be more accessible to them than mm-hmm. three days. Um, uh, yeah,
0: so- yeah, no, that's really helpful, and I, I, uh, you know, I share that just because, like. I think that there maybe are some systemic factors that that seem to to influence that and help that too I selfishly want more of that personally more of that ability to to be home and with my my little one and and I know my partner does too the idea mm. of like being able to spend more time with this this little one who's just mm. two years old and and being there for yeah. those younger moments too um yeah. and also feeling like that that pull to 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 sort of work and and build safety and in, in other ways too. Um, I want to switch gears now though to to hear more about your practice and your position too. I, I, maybe we can zoom out a little bit because one of the things that might throw people in the states off is like titles and and what you are as a mental health provider and and what your training is like. So I wonder if we can help people understand what is it take to become a psychologist in the Netherlands? What does that process look like? Like how many years, what does it involve? What degrees are people getting?
1: Um, yeah, so in the Netherlands, how, how it works is that, well, you, you first do a bachelor's degree, that's three years. Mm-hmm. Then you do uh, either a clinical master, that's one year, or a research master, that's two years, depending mm-hmm. on what you wanna do. Um, and then um, after that, you have a, a master degree in psychology. Um, you can start working, but you can't uh, work independently. Mm-hmm. So um, what you need to be able to work independently and also, for example, diagnose is uh, a post-master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so currently they're actually changing um, uh, kind of the structure the uh, of, of um, our profession uh, to make it, Uh, More simple, so I'm going Mm. to refer to that. That's going to be in 2025. That's going to look like that, and the Dutch Association uh, of Psychologists is 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 part of that process. Um, So the post the first postmaster training that you have is two years, Um, and that you get the registration then as gezep It's called in in Dutch. Mm. Um, So that's healthcare psychologist. You're then Mm -hmm. a licensed healthcare psychologist, and then you can practice independently. Right. But also working mm-hmm. at a clinic, then you can um, supervise a master psychologist or uh, provide diagnoses, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you decide to uh, continue your postmaster education, you can still do four years to become a clinical psychologist slash psychotherapist or uh, a clinical neuropsychologist. So in mm-hmm. total, you could do six years of uh, postmaster education. Mm
0: hmm. Uh, so, so that's okay. a
1: little bit what it, yeah it looks like.
0: Yeah, so just like doing that math. So 3 years bachelor's, 1 year master's, then you do some kind of post masters if you want uh independent practice. You can do 2 years of post masters, but then if you want like a clinical psychologist title, you you would do another 4 years. Is that right?
1: If you want to specialize further. So if you're yeah. also working at a mental health care institute, you would want to do this at least the first postmaster degree mm-hmm. of two years uh, to be able to, you know, work independently, supervise, you know, kind of go to the next level, but also just to continue uh, your education. So what they want to mm-hmm. work towards is that um, because there's such a limited amount of um, spots available for these postmaster degrees, because it's actually working and learning. Right. So you're mm-hmm. uh, working for about four or three days and then uh, going to classes for one day and you have supervision okay um and to get one of these spots you have to apply to it um so Mm -hmm. it's like it's it's a job um and it's hard to get in and so what they want to do is make it more accessible because we don't have enough postmaster psychologists and Mm. we need them um so they want to um go towards a system where after your masters you can go straight into your postmaster degree Mm -hmm. But that's in the future.
0: Got it. But it sounds, you know, similar concerns, similar problems here too, just like the pipeline. Like we need more mental health providers in the pipeline to get them. It either takes too long or it's too expensive for us at least, or it, you know, um, doesn't offer enough like efficiency. There's not enough people getting out there in in practice. And it sounds like that some of the changes might be informed by a, a desire to to have more providers in the community helping.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause what what's it like in the States then it's different.
0: Well, so if we're talking about like at the master's level, there are a bunch of different options, probably similar there too, but like I, as the master's degrees go, you have like master's in social work, you have master's in marriage and, and family therapy. Um, you have master's in counseling Um, and others. But at that master's level, typically that's your four-year bachelor's degree um, combined with typically like a two-year master's program after that. And then similar to what I'm hearing from you, there's this supervised period of time before you're considered, for instance, a licensed clinical social worker, an LCSW. Um, I don't know that number of hours off the top of my head. But then at the psychologist level... Yeah, for a counseling or clinical psychologist, you're looking at the same four years, and then typically, anywhere from five to seven years for the Ph.D. or the Psy.D. level, because we have both doctorate type degrees, but they're they basically uh, end in the same place. Um, mm-hmm. And then some people get master's degrees along the way. Some people get master's degrees before a doctorate program, but it's not required. So it looks a little different, but at mm. the same point, when you, when you calculate the number of years you're talking about, like in practice or being supervised, they're very similar. Mm. Um, yeah. What, what I get from your, your um, years of experience then is it, it tends to be really clinically focused if I'm hearing it correctly.
1: You mean my work?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or like to become a, a psychologist through these postmasters supervised experiences they seem clinically focused like very much yeah, you're so like the, working with patients yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so you, you'd be um kind of um when you're doing the the postmaster you're working at the same time kind of mm-hmm. supervised at work but also externally by someone who's not uh part of your work setting so that mm-hmm. you could talk about um, more personal development uh mm-hmm. things um so personally, I, found that most valuable <laughs> during my first yeah. master's. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's a combination of those things that um, I think get you to a different level than if you would start working after your master's, um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because during your yeah. master's, you also do an internship where you you get supervision and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah, that that internship piece is very similar too, yeah. I, I'm i curious about, just to, to segue to the economics of practice, Um, how does it work there? Does insurance pay for therapy? Do, Do people pay out of pocket for therapy? What does that typically look like?
1: Yeah, so it, it depends um, who we're talking about. So if we're talking about children, um, until the age of 18, the municipality actually pays for uh, mm-hmm. mental health care. Um, so uh, a while back, they decided to change that. It was first all covered by health insurance, mm-hmm. um, and they decided to bring all that money to the municipality for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need a contract, uh, if you have your own practice, with the municipality to get it covered. Okay. okay. Okay, your costs. So if you don't have a contract, it doesn't get covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so for 18 plus, it's all via health insurance and you can decide either to have direct contracts, uh, contracts with the health insurance companies
0: mm-hmm. or not. Um, mm-hmm.
1: If you do, then um, most of it gets covered. If you don't, a percentage usually gets covered. If you uh-huh. have the right qualifications, you do need the right qualifications and you do need certain, you need to do certain uh, administrative
0: things
1: um to be able to get a cover to
0: them yeah okay okay you know again it it seems somewhat similar like we might have programs like medicaid or medicare that are like government programs where they they have like public private partnerships with private companies that also interface with the government but then also um, you have individual insurers and you can choose to, to work with individual insurers or not, or they can choose to work with you or not. Um, it seems very analogous. I want to dig into also your work in particular. Tell us a, a little bit about your practice there and, and what do you focus on and who are you working with?
1: Yeah, so I mainly work with international families with children um, and their parents um and sometimes young adults as well uh but all international clients uh mainly also because because of my personal background Mm -hmm. as a as a third culture kid well adult at this point Mm -hmm. um but um yeah and i see uh children with various issues anxiety related or Um, depression, but also related to moving around a lot, usually these um, kids have moved from country to country, which Mm -hmm. can have an impact on them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Understandably so. Um, But also adjusting to living in the Netherlands or um, issues at school, uh, Mm -hmm. family related issues. Um, Yeah, those kind of things.
0: Yeah, various transitional concerns, I I would imagine. And you mentioned a a term third culture kids and tell me more about what, what that means.
1: Yeah. So uh, third culture kids are actually uh, children that move around uh, mainly because of uh, the work of one of their parents. Um, Mm -hmm. And so um, they don't feel like they belong to uh, one culture, but kind of a, a combination of different cultures that they've experienced over their years of growing up um, and there's a really good uh, book about it um,
0: hmm.
1: that uh, yeah it's a, it's a great book that I always recommend to all the um, um, yeah families that I see international families that I see um, yes yeah, so what's the name of
0: it I'm, I'm, I'm gonna need to google
1: so uh, third culture kids it's called oh. uh, growing up among worlds oh David
0: Pollock. Oh, great, great. So, David Pollock. So, if if people yeah. want to search for and that Ruth third Shnoday-Gam. culture kids, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it's
1: it's it's a great great book.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So this this idea of um, sort of like fitting in or uh, almost like acculturation to the Netherlands. What what are families and their children going through as they transition there? What are some of the common challenges?
1: I I think, well, I think it's it's different for each child, each family. But like for it, I can give you an example. Um, for example, what 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 I hear quite often with a more Southern European um, mm-hmm. families, so from Spain or from Italy, or for example from South America, where there is a lot more focus on family life and mm-hmm. relationships and those kind of things. Not that in the Netherlands we're not, but we are more individualistic. And mm-hmm. so I can give you an example of what a parent uh, said they struggled with back home. They would be able to knock on someone's door and come over for dinner spontaneously here in uh-huh. the Netherlands. That's usually not done. <laughs> you plan <laughs> okay. it weeks in advance, right. Mm-hmm. And, and you agree the time and <laughs> all of that. So those are, it, it sounds small, but it it's, it's, can feel really big, right? It feels mm-hmm. very different living in a, in a country like that. So and it's not right or wrong, either one, but it's yeah. very, very different. And people can struggle with that quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. There, uh, what you're alluding to is like, there's almost a script that is being rewritten by being there or a script that may be challenging where, okay, now you're in this culture where, that's not the norm or the the script that maybe people from the Netherlands may have developed themselves or been socialized to as they grew up. That like, there is a significant amount of planning, you don't just stop by to to, to join people for dinner. Uh, what I'm hearing is like, there's just a difference in scripts there. And I would imagine that being really, really challenging.
1: Yeah, it, it can be. and And I mean, you can also learn a lot from it. I mean, mm-hmm. if I look at myself, I, I think I've also mm-hmm. learned a lot from the different cultures that I've experienced. And, and that's kind of that third culture, right? You mm-hmm. kind of pick the parts of the culture that fit yeah. you and you create this own. But what the challenging part in that is that you that you've kind of feel uh, lost sometimes. Where do I belong? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I say I'm Dutch, but mm-hmm. in a group of Dutch people, I don't feel very Dutch. But mm-hmm. in a group of international people, I feel very Dutch
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: I, I think that's the best way to describe it
0: mm-hmm. yeah there's almost like a where who are your in-group and when uh who who yeah. is is your community and when um yeah. depending on the community around and I think that that's that's a pretty profound idea too um yeah, i I want to segue to a uh, a topic. It's okay if you don't know this, because I, I was just kind of curious, though, in preparing for the podcast about what it would take for someone to, to move. And I'm not going to name any names, but what it would take for <laughs> someone to move from the States as a psychologist and then practice in the Netherlands. Do you happen to know, like, what would that look like? Because it sounds like English is actually very much needed, at least in The Hague.
1: Uh, So generally, psychologists are needed here, but more specifically, English speaking psychologists for international Mm -hmm. population here, uh, for sure. Well, I know from from colleagues that it can be quite a challenge to come Mm -hmm. here and to get kind of your registration or your license translated into a Dutch registration. Mm -hmm. And I know that so the Dutch Association of Psychologists, they are they are working on making it better right Mm -hmm. but that um, it can take a lot of time and that they do look at it on an individual basis Um, Mm -hmm. so sometimes they might say uh, depending on the education that you have that you might need to take an extra course here or there or extra supervision I don't know so yeah it kind of depends on on your situation um, Mm -hmm. how easy they make it for you but I know that in the past it's been a struggle for some colleagues Mm -hmm. that I know.
0: Mm-hmm. So this isn't just something that I sign up and I'm ready to go. Um, that it might take some time. That there might be some hoops to to go yeah. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well Vera, so if you are planning, I, yeah, go, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Here. Uh-huh. Give <laughs> it and some good. time. Be
1: prepared. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate your your time and sharing your expertise with us all. I I would love to give people. Um, you know your your information or, or your website at very least so they can check you out um whether they're in the netherlands or here and wanted to know more about what you do where should people go if they want to learn more about your practice and 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 you individually yes
1: yeah, so they can always look me up on linkedin um and otherwise on my uh website callmindpsychology.nl uh, uh, um, so yeah
0: wonderful wonderful well thank you and again to those that are listening please check out that, that CNBC article too. Um, if you search for uh, Veronique's name and CNBC, you should be able to, to see it in one of the, the first few about uh, these six things that uh, parents never do in the Netherlands. And so it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Of course. I'm Dr. Samuel Esgarten and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as clinical advice or continuing education.